Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Equipping Your Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my new friend, Bodie. Bodie, welcome to the Equipping Your Grace podcast, brother. Hey, it's great to be on the show. Yeah, it's great to have you. Can you uh, tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and any ministry projects you're working on, which I'm sure is quite a bit? Oh, boy, that, that's a whole book I can give you right there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I've got a bachelor's and master's degree in mechanical engineering. I used to teach at Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. I used to work at Caterpillar uh, before I went into ministry. And I came to the Ministry of Answers in Genesis uh, about 18, 19 years ago now. And I've been a speaker, writer, researcher. The Lord has taken me all over the world. I've seen some incredible sights. Uh, married uh, my lovely wife, and we've got four kids. And, uh, you know, I've had ups and downs, no doubt about that. I know a lot of people know know a lot about me. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've struggled with is heart problems. I've had a multitude of heart attacks. I have a defibrillator in my chest and things like that. Mm. So that's kind of limited me a little bit to uh, go in some places. But uh, at any rate, you know, the Lord still has me here to, to do his will, and I'll, I'll do the best I can. So. Wonderful. Praise the Lord, brother. Well, why does it matter that we we have a good understanding of Adam as a real person in real history? You know, from a Christian perspective, you know, without Adam, I mean, everything just seems to crumble. Uh, most people don't realize how important Adam and Eve and the early pages of Genesis really are to the Christian faith. Um, when, when we think of foundationally, we think of doctrines, every major doctrine of theology, directly or indirectly, uh, go back to Genesis 1 to 11. I mean, it, it really is foundational. And uh, Adam and Eve, they're the whole reason to where... We, we're in a sin, cursed, and broken world right now. That's the whole reason we need a new heavens and new, new earth. It's the whole reason we need a savior to save us from sin and death. So as soon as you start uh, messing with Adam and Eve, maybe saying they don't exist or trying to reinterpret them out of the picture, all of a sudden you're taking the foundation of Christianity and you just try to throw that foundation out. So what you're really saying is that uh, denying Adam as a real person, real history, then is a gospel issue. Oh, it really is a gospel issue. You know, sometimes we look at Adam, we think, oh, yeah, this is something that happened back in those early pages of Genesis. Nobody touches him after that, but that's not the case at all. You know, the Bible refers to him many times, particularly in the New Testament. Uh, you know, there's times where uh, Jesus is actually quoting from Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two, talking about Adam and Eve and the first marriage. You know, Paul talks about Adam. Uh, you know, I mean, the, the Bible authors took Adam as though he were a real person. In fact, in the book of Luke, we have a continuous genealogy from Adam all the way up to Christ. And if we try to throw him out as not a real person, well, all of a sudden you got this genealogy that goes back to what? A myth to, to something that's not real? That becomes a problem. It's like we were joking before and, I, and I'll say what I said before because I have nothing to hide, right? It's just kind of like we're, we're going to talk guys about the William Lane Craig article. I'm like, to me, it kind of read like, hey, this is like somebody who's obviously very intelligent or whatever, but it's almost like, you know, in academic writing, for those of you that aren't familiar, it's kind of like you can say something without saying much of all. And that's how I really read the article from, you know, my my perspective. So, yeah. And you know what? I, 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 I totally get you. You know, as I go through it, you know, he's sitting there talking about 
uh, myth and folklore and and it, it just seemed very convoluted and it, it was almost back to front. Um, you know, just knowing who William Lane Craig is and a lot of the stuff that he's published and commented on over the years, uh, he does believe in things like Big Bang and millions of years and an evolutionary idea. Of course, he wants to throw God into that equation. Uh, but because of that, he's actually buying into the secular myth. And yet he's now questioning the Bible, calling it some sort of mytho history. Now, from a big picture, just step back and look at that. Okay, he's bought into the secular ideas. Well, what are the secular ideas? Se secular ideas are a secular religion. It's called secular humanism. There's a lot of forms of it. But if any time man's ideas are elevated to supersede God and his word, that's humanism in its broadest sense. And the secular forms are where things like Big Bang evolution and millions of years come from. So he's accepting that religious uh, account of origins, rejecting what the Bible's really saying. So what he's doing is he's trying to mix two different religions and something has to give. And that's when we see articles like this. Yeah, that's that's syncretism. You know, that's exactly like, what it is. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, it, it goes back to like you're saying to our view of the Bible itself. It, it, how you understand this particular subject is not a it's not something like people could think, well, this is a secondary issue. It's it's something like a remote of baptism right. or the or the timing of the or the Lord's return or or, you know, our view of uh, how elders are to function in the church or right. I mean, oh, no, we're talking about something in the first Corinthians, you know, like you're saying in the first Corinthians 15, one through eight kind of way. That's a first importance. It's it's a priority because yeah. it directly impacts um, our understanding of, of the Bible, of the gospel, mm -hmm. like you said, of sin, of salvation, of atonement, of justification, adoption. I mean, you can right. go, you can just, you know, Over go on and on with them. Yeah. Yeah. Those doctrines, they go back to the, to the book of Genesis. But you know, what's interesting, you know, when I hear, you know, it's not just William Lane Craig, there's plenty of others out there that want to reinterpret Genesis in strange ways <laughs> and say, well, you don't, don't take it the way it's written. It's got to be reinterpreted to be this or that. But at the same time, I see these guys walking around with their clothes on. Where does the doctrine of clothing come from? It comes from Adam and Eve literally sinning in a literal garden and God literally covering them with clothing, <laughs> you know, coats of skins at the time. Of course, they tried the fig leaves. That didn't work. Um, and <laughs> we look at that doctrine. That comes from an actual reading of Genesis. And yet they're sitting there like, oh, no, we have to reinterpret this. Stuff. Oh, but not that one. We're going to wear our clothes today. Uh, you know, so I, I see those inconsistencies and it breaks my heart. Uh, for for when I see people do that, it's really I think what we're really talking about with the article with William Lane Craig, and I, I'd welcome your thoughts, of course. Mm -hmm. Is I mean, how we understand what the Bible is itself, it affects how we what we do with the Bible. And oh and so, yeah, so like really, what we're talking about is somebody that doesn't believe the Bible. I mean, if we're just going to say it in the starkest terms possible, that's yeah, that's really how what we have to say. Yeah, he really has. He's given up uh, Genesis 1 to 11, particularly these early chapters. He's given them up. He wants to reinterpret it. And so he's calling it, oh, it has aspects of history, but it's it's essentially a myth in his view. And so he's traded the Bible, which is the actual truth, with the myth of the secular worldview and kind of flip-flopped the two. So, yeah, that's really what he's done. And so that becomes a biblical authority issue. Uh, why not trust God in his word? All the rest of the Bible authors, they viewed Adam as a real person. Uh, they viewed these doctrines uh, back in the uh, early pages of Genesis as real things. There really was a global flood. Um, and, and yet there's that inconsistency in there. And, you know, when people think of William Lane Craig, they oftentimes think of a guy who tries to think logically and go through these things. And, you know, there's times that uh, William Lane Craig and myself, we would stand side by side and argue uh, for certain things, uh, you know, almost identically. 
But then we turn around, we go back to the early pages of Genesis, and all of a sudden you see all these fallacious arguments. You're like, how's this coming? How, how does he arrive at this? Um, you know, so it, it's actually very odd and, and, and rather inconsistent on that. Breaks my heart. Yeah, that's what we abs- Absolutely. Does it does it matter if we take Genesis one through three literally? You know, we we see people take taking it, suggesting it's a myth, it's a fairy tale, it's yeah. you know Gilgamesh or the whatever, and on and on, you know, so on and so forth. Right, and you know what? Uh, I, I think taking it the way it's written. When, when we say the word literal, literal classically meant take it the way it's written. And uh, you know, these early pages of Genesis are written in a historical narrative style. Now they're there are little passages that know that that have some some allegory or poetic uh, fashion to a bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, but it's within the context of a historical narrative. So there's no reason for us not to take it as a historical narrative. If we go in there and try to impose our ideas, saying, "Oh, well, maybe Genesis one or Genesis chapter three, they they should be reinterpreted because we're going to take it as poetic and uh, reinterpret it in light of uh, of other ideas," that's when you start to run into a problem. And I know William Lane Craig, you know, uh, one of the things that he's really attacked was Genesis chapter three, really a talking serpent, magical trees. You know, what's funny is I've heard those exact words and phrases coming from atheists attacking God and his word. So it's not like it's a new attack. I've seen this. And here's the thing, you know, they're, they're not magical trees. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was a real tree. That's just the name of it. They're told not to eat from it. Um, and yet they ate from it and there were consequences for it. Uh, when it came to a serpent, you know, I've had, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how many evolutionists have come up and said, wow, I, I can't believe you think uh, animals actually talked. And then I, I, I asked them a question, don't you believe humans are just animals? And they're like, uh, yeah. So, you know, they run into that problem. But phonetically, all sorts of animals can make phonetic sound. Parrots, for example, can talk and not shut up. Uh, they're just not clever. What it is, is it's Satan behind him. And yes, Satan is a real being. So, you know, when people attack the Bible and they try to mock it in those ways, sometimes you got to step back and look at it. You know, hey, this stuff really can happen. It really does make sense. And uh, maybe what we ought to do is stand on the authority of the word of God and take it the way it's written. Amen. It's it's interesting that you bring up the atheists because even the American Atheist Association came out, right, and said, hey, look, we believe if you don't have a real Adam and real history, then you do away with the Christian gospel. That's literally almost verbatim yes. a quote. And it's it's shocking that, you know, I, I grew up in Seattle and so I dealt with, talked with atheists all the time. And, and yeah. for an atheist to be that honest is a, a very rare, I'll say. Right, my experience, and so for the American Atheist Association to tell their you know fellow atheists right. that is it's just interesting that they understand you know the the, the yeah. they're saying I understand the central truth claims of of the Christian religion and mm-hmm. and here here's Adam as a real person if we can get people to do away with that then we do away with Christianity entirely. Yeah. And, and, you know, these atheists are clever. I know Richard Bozarth would say stuff like that. He was an old classical atheist and, uh, you know, saying, hey, if we can destroy Adam and Eve, then, you know, the sorry remains of the son of God are just going to lay there in the ashes. You know, they understand that connection between the foundation. And, uh, you know, when Christians don't, it's like, are you really thinking logically what's going on here, guys? And, uh, you know, I, I, I still think one of the most powerful arguments is interpret scripture with scripture. Let God be his own interpreter. There's no greater authority than God. Let's let God uh, look at his other uh, uh, passages. If there's a passage you're not sure how it's to be taken, look at the rest of scripture. And all throughout the rest of the Bible, they took Genesis 1 to 11 as an actual historical uh, 
occurrences, whether it was creation, the fall, the flood, the Tower of Babel, uh, they took Adam and Eve as real people. That's consistent all through there. To go against that really is to go against the way God is looking at it. Yeah. I've seen an uprising in the secular scientific community coming against the idea that man evolved from apes. And it seems like even the world is turning against this idea. Um, this, this will certainly have far-reaching impacts in the way that science develops. How can we as Christians use this to direct people to the Lord? Hey, you know what? It is interesting to see out in the secular world people starting to attack some of these uh, viewpoints uh, that have just been treated as dogma for 150 years. Uh, You know, evolution is one of them. Big Bang is another one that's severely coming under attack. You know, we've seen a lot of people uh, really want to go against that, and they're trying to figure out some new type of cosmological idea. Some people are trying to revive Big Bang. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, when they actually start looking at what Darwin taught, because a lot of people, they don't know what Darwin has actually taught, what he was actually teaching. When they start looking at it, they go, this was pretty bad. Let me give you an example. I was down in Peru and I spoke at a university down there. And when I spoke down there, a biology professor came and he brought his entire class into the lecture. And uh, he came up afterwards, you know, had his whole class in there to watch. And we had a pretty good sized crowd in there, actually. But he came up and through the translator was was actually very upset with the fact that I was actually teaching that Genesis 1 to 11 is true. Um, how dare I say that Adam and Eve were real? We, of course, we know they evolved. Darwin is right. Darwin is right. Darwin is right. How dare we question Darwin? And so I pulled up a slide from Charles Darwin's book, The Descent of Man, where Charles Darwin said that the Caucasian uh, will no doubt exterminate all the lesser races, the savage races throughout the world, as well as a lot of these uh, higher apes and so forth. And I said, if Darwin's right, 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 I said, that means everybody in this room should be exterminated. And it was interesting to see him kind of back off, like, really? That's what Darwin thought? And his whole class, they saw it. They're like, whoa, this is not good. See, I think a lot of people, they don't know what Darwin was teaching. They don't know uh, what an actual evolutionary worldview will entail and what the implications are of that. And once they start seeing it, they start going, hold on a second, let's back off of this. And we're seeing more and more of that in our culture. And I, I'm actually glad people are starting to see through that a little bit. I just really hope that they move back over to the, to the Bible and say, okay, now we got the truth. Maybe, maybe you want to spell that out a little bit, some of the implications for our listeners. Just Oh, yeah. Well, you know, a prime example, one of Darwin's biggest followers was uh, a man named Ernst Haeckel. Ernst Haeckel was the one who popularized an evolutionary worldview to the German people in the late uh, 1800s. And it started to lead to what's called pan-Germanism and started to lead to Nazism. Now, when we just go back and study what the Nazis did, they were diehard evolutionists. And in fact, I would go so far as to say they were probably some of the most consistent evolutionists in their worldview. They said not only out of the Caucasians, but they said the Aryans within the Caucasians, they could even exterminate the other Caucasians, which is really what Darwin was teaching, that next phase. So they were probably some of the most consistent. And you know, as soon as you think of the Nazis, you think of the Holocaust, you think of the wars that they caused, uh, the attacks on the Jews and the Poles and the Slavs. And, uh, you know, so many people were, were attacked under that worldview. They were consistent with it. But then let's look at the modern things. It's an evolutionary worldview that has heavily influenced the abortion debate. You know, people make this argument, well, babies growing in the womb, we're just going through your evolutionary ancestral phases. Um, and, you know, believe it or not, those arguments are still used. And uh, people buy into it. Now, a lot of people realize that there's problems with that, but that actually goes back to Ernst Haeckel teachings. Uh, once again, he's still influencing the world. So, yeah, we see horrible implications of that. 
even uh, the concepts of higher and lower races, that goes back to a Darwinian worldview, uh, you know, arguing that some people evolve more or less and so forth. And of course, we see racial tension. And yet here we are as biblical Christians, we all go back to Adam and Eve. Guess what? That means we're all related. We're all equal under God. We're all made in the image of God. We all need to be saved through Jesus Christ. You know, I've had people come up and say, oh, but Bodhi, you're a white guy, you know, and they, they automatically have these evolutionary connotations built in their mind. But this is white. <laughs> I'm not white. <laughs> I'm kind of brown. In fact, we're all kind of brownish. Some have more brown, some have less brown. Our genetics tell, tell us to produce more of this melanin, a brownish pigment in our skin, or to produce less of it. So, yes, we have variations in that. In fact, there's a little little kid song. I don't know if you're familiar with this one. You probably have. Um, you know, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. You know, there's kids around the world singing that different now. They're singing shades of brown from dark to light. They are precious in his sight. And that's actually more accurate uh, if you think about it. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of implications and a lot of that that can be unpacked probably even further than this. But hopefully that gives the, uh, the watchers and listeners a taste. Yeah, definitely. That's that's really, really good. You know, we're 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 told today. Hey, here's here's science, right? You know, with COVID and and mm-hmm. everything come out, and it, it's a it's an issue because people are people are being led to believe. You know, the CDC is telling them what what science is. What? How should we as Christians understand? You know, science. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. You know, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, I'm a science guy by nature. I've got a bachelor, master's degree in mechanical engineering. I specialize in material science. Uh, here's what I can tell you about science. Science is observable and repeatable. Now, why is science observable and repeatable? Well, because God upholds the world in a particular way, and he's promised that he would do it that way. And that's what makes observable, repeatable science. That's why most fields of science actually came out of a biblical worldview, people following after what the Bible says, you know, whether it's chemistry, physics, you know, you might think of Gregor Mendel or Boyle or Newton, you know, these guys were standing on the Bible to, to make a, get an understanding of the world. So science actually comes out of a biblical worldview. Now, here's the thing. That word science, sometimes people want to equate it with evolution. Science and evolution, they're not the same thing at all. Uh, So sometimes people get caught in a bait and switch, uh, you know, to kind of kind of bring that over. Um, You know, they get this good definition of science and all of a sudden they want to come over here and say, well, science uh, is the same thing as evolution. And it's not. You know, nobody's ever observed or repeated Big Bang. Nobody's ever observed or repeated millions of years. No one's ever observed or repeated a single-celled organism like an amoeba changing into a cow. I mean, we've never seen that sort of thing. So those are not observable, repeatable science. We've got to be very careful calling it that, even though the world sometimes does it. Sometimes we need to call them out for that. Yeah, I think that's really, really um, helpful because, you know, we're, 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 I mean, we're not even going to get into COVID, right? That's a, that's a minefield. <laughs> but I mean, you you see this idea, like the science is leading us here. It's like, well, science, right, has to be peer reviewed. Um, it uses empirical evidence and, you know, kind of like a, an accountability, has an accountability structure, right, built into it. I'm telling a scientist this, but for our <laughs> listeners, you know, like, and, and it's just kind of ironic to me at, a, at just a very, I mean, I'm not a, I'm not trained as a scientist. I'm trained yeah. as a theologian. But I mean, it's just ironic to me as somebody who studied logic. It's like, wait a minute, don't you understand that, that that's a contradiction here? This is a contradiction. Yeah. It's it's totally illogical. And yet they're right. telling us in light of what you said, that's not real science. So Right. You know, I hear people say, you know, science tells us this, or you got to follow the science. It's leading us over here. <laughs> science is a methodology. 
Science is not something like that. That's actually a reification or personification fallacy when people try to elevate science and so it has some sort of a mind. Um, but, but here's something a lot of people don't realize about science. Science is a methodology that ultimately will never really end. You can go through this process, you go through this process again, and that confuses people because they don't realize that science cannot make absolute claims. Science is something that can always change. So somebody says, well, science proves this. Uh, you got to be careful because when you actually look at the methodology of science, science can't prove anything. It's a method of getting us and attaining a certain amount of knowledge, but that knowledge can always be modified, adjusted, or changed depending on more factors and more data. Man, and that confuses people. I don't, don't want to scare people with science methodology, but right. uh, I think sometimes people elevate science to a position that they got to be careful about doing that. Yeah, that's that's really good. Well, yeah, we're gonna gonna go go here, but what are the dangers of scientism? And you know, people see it every day. So maybe you want to describe it so that they can, hey, this is what it is and and the danger. Right. Well, you know, when people elevate science or at least the evolutionary worldview that they're equating as science, that's what scientism is. It becomes a form of a religion. And so that's what this is. It's a it's a battle over religions. It's a battle over God versus man's ideas about what they think science is or about an evolutionary worldview. So we need to step back and remember it's a religious debate. You've got to be very careful of that. Don't try to mix it. That's what William Lane Craig is doing. We need to step back and, and trust God's word from the very first to the very last verse. And, uh, you know, when you do that, boy, it, it just changes your mindset. And I know you may have a lot of listeners, people watching that, uh, uh, you know, they, they, they see a program like this and they think, well, what can I do? Step one, guys, go back and read Genesis 1 to 11. Read it over and over again. Go in, read the gospel of John. You know, the, the point I'm saying here is get into the Bible and read it. Study it. Uh, just look up other passages that uh, relate to what you're talking about. Get search programs. It's, it's just amazing. Get it on apps nowadays. But get into the Bible. Mm, that's good. That's good. Really good. Yeah, get in the Bible. And we we at Servants of Grace, we have lots of resources for you to to do that. So, you know, we talk about that on this show quite a lot. So that's good advice. Well, brother, where where can people go to find out more about you? You know, answers in Genesis, those kind of things, your social media. Anything? Sure. You know, one of the first places I would suggest is our website, answersingenesis.org. Again, that's answersingenesis.org. We have a new lead article every day. It's one of the most popular Christian websites in the world. Um, but also, we have the world-famous Ark Encounter. We also have the world-famous Creation Museum, both out here in northern Kentucky, just south of Cincinnati. So, uh, you know, I want to encourage people to come to that. I've been on a host of different books, 25, 30 books or so, uh, that I'm involved in one way or another. And, uh, you know, you can find out uh, more about some of that. Uh, I love studying the subjects of logic and uh, the flood and the Tower of Babel and the fall of Satan. The fall man kind of got books on all those subjects. And many of you might be familiar with Bill Nye. Bill Nye and Ken Ham had a very famous debate, uh, a hugely popular debate. My guess is somewhere between 25 and 30 million people have watched that debate. Well, I got a chance to meet Bill Nye afterwards, and I asked him to sign a Bible. And so he signed it, Bill Nye, the science guy, and put an, a, an arrow to the contents of the Bible and said, question everything. So I had his permission to question everything he said in that debate. Um, but he and I share the same degree. I'm just one level higher than him. So I actually have a book inside the Nye-Ham debate where I go through the whole debate, the transcripts in there and everything. And uh, most of the things that Bill Nye was bringing up, it's the same thing you'd hear from a lot of skeptics, um, a, lot of, a lot of atheists and so forth. So it's a good way to get some answers. But uh, I'll leave 
that. Sounds good, brother. Well, just as we wrap up, uh, do you have a few takeaways from our for our listeners? Well, here's one thing that I, I always like people to understand. As soon as you take millions of years, you know, whether whether it's William Lynn Craig or some of the other ideas out there, and they put that uh, in into Genesis chapter one, you got a huge problem because you put millions of years of death, pain, struggling, suffering, extinction. That's what we see in these rock layers, which is the evidence they claim for millions of years. Of course, I look at that, those rock layers being evidence of the flood of Noah's day. But if you put all those rock layers, millions of years of death, guess what God declares at the end of Genesis 1? He declares that everything was very good. Deuteronomy 32, 4 says every work of God is perfect. We expected the work of creation to be perfect. And if you put that death in there, then what becomes the punishment for sin? Hmm. You see, that makes death very good. Fact is, that would make sin very good when you look at it. And those undermine the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So yes, it's an authority issue, but it does relate to a gospel issue. Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, brother, thank you so much for your time today. You've done a wonderful job on this. And uh, thank you for all the work that you're doing, Answers in Genesis. We appreciate you. And we hope, hopefully we'll have you on here soon. God bless you. <laughs> we appreciate that. Be praying for us uh, here at the ministry. We'd, uh, we'd kindly accept those prayers. So Definitely we will. Thank you, brother. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.